Hello, dear listeners, and welcome to Let It Be Easy. I'm your host, Lisa Sanchez, certified leadership and life coach, Reiki practitioner, and recovering overachiever. Not everything in life can be easy, but this podcast is about seeing how some things don't have to be as hard as we think. This podcast is brought to you by Cocoon. That's my practice where I offer coaching and other resources to help you trust your intuition, design a meaningful life, and create fulfilling work. You can find out more at the-cocoon.co. Hello, Julia. Hi, Lisa. I'm so glad to have you here, to meet you here. Let me give you a chance to introduce yourself to our listeners. You can share your name and who you are and what you do, anything you'd like them to know. Wonderful. Well, I am so excited to be here in conversation with you as well. My name is Julia Mazzola. It is the Italian spelling of Julia, but it is pronounced the same. And I work as a life coach, helping creatives and magic makers take actions on their dreams without forsaking their bodies and their souls. And do you want the long story or the short story of <laughs> how I got here? <laughs> well, let's, let's start with that. I wanted to just briefly share how we found each other. And then, yes, I want to get into the long story. So the two of us found each other through Jen Carrington's membership community, Your Simple and Spacious Business. I'll make sure that's in the show notes. I highly recommend it. Um, if you're a coach or other creative uh, service provider, business owner, it's really wonderful. And Julia, I just saw that you had posted about something in our Slack and I I clicked through to your website and I thought, oh, this is a kindred spirit right here. And of course, we'll have your website in the show notes. So if listeners want to, like they could look at your website and my website and see too, like, okay. These two people definitely have some, some parallels. So I just thought it would be really wonderful to, to talk with you. And, and then as I went deeper and read more about your story on your about page, I love your writing and there's just so much I, I want to talk about with you. Thank you so much. I totally felt the same way when I clicked through to your website, which is, it's so funny because I think especially when you're kind of at the start of your business or the start of creating something, you really tend to like overthink a lot about what I'm going to put on my website, what I'm going to write, what I'm going to do. And so often the reality is like you can get the vibe of a person as long as they're being themselves. You know, if they're being themselves, you can just kind of get the right sense of whether they're right for you and whether you want to be in conversation with them. So I, I love that we both had a similar experience. <laughs> yeah. And Jen actually was my very first coach, God, like six years ago now, I think. Yeah, six years ago when I first left finance, because that's part of where my story begins. 
if I used to work as an equity analyst in finance in London. And it was when I left that that I just had no clue what I was doing. And I felt so lost. And Jen was my very first coach that I hired. And it was such a brilliant lesson in one, calling in support and asking for help when I wasn't sure how to. And two, in how so often an investment in coaching doesn't necessarily give you what you think you're going to get out of it, but it tends to give you exactly what you need from it. As long as you're picking the right person to be in relationship with. But I remember when I felt high Jen, I was like, cool, I'm going to fix all my problems. <laughs> Everything's going to be sorted. <laughs> and a lot was unearthed and there was beautiful space to discover a lot more about what I wanted. But there was still a lot more work to do, as there always is, because no one person can do the work for you, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How about yourself? Well, you know, I, I'm just thinking now about, like, there are some bits of your writing that I sort of pulled out um, because it particularly resonated with me. And um, just about that time when you left finance, there's this part where you said, and yet there was this emptiness inside me, an emptiness that only widened when I decided to leave finance completely, an emptiness that I'd been keeping from expanding with the duct tape of an acceptable identity, of a salaried job, of doing everything right. When I ripped off this duct tape, the expansive maw of that ache was unbearable. I rushed to fill it immediately. I was desperate for the aching to stop. There was also something in me that knew I couldn't rush this. Yeah, it's so funny having your own words read back to you, especially because it was such a different part of my life now, six, six years ago. And I feel like when I look back at the person that I was then, I wasn't so aware that I was feeling this way. Like it's easier to write about it with hindsight. I remember feeling very lost. And I remember really going, like thinking that so many things would fix it. That if I just got that certification, that would then legitimize my being in this finance role, then maybe I would feel confident about it. If I got the promotion or the pay rise, then that would be a sign that I was doing good and then I could relax and then I could rest. And just this constant need for something external to prove to myself that I was doing enough and that I was okay. And what I know now, looking back, is I was looking for a way to rest, essentially. I was looking for a place where I could rest within myself and really start to make decisions from a place of perhaps joy and desires rather than wanting to just prove something. And for me, the answer was busyness at the time. So even when I left finance, then I was like, okay, well, I'm going to get a degree. I'm going to have to fix this. I'm going to get my coach. I'm going to get a degree. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And I made like an action plan of how I was going to get out of it. When in reality, it was kind of a mix between the two. It was a mix between creating space 
and awareness and really learning how to rest in the discomfort of not taking action in the way that I wanted to and learning how to take actions that made me uncomfortable without hustling, without making me feel drained, but still moving towards something that was really meaningful to me. Because this is the problem is that when we have these big dreams, the actions that we want to take towards those, they're not just simple because we have so many fears and big feelings around that, that if we're not very used to being with, we don't know how to tend to as we move through it. And Mm -hmm. it's just, yeah, it's, I love that you picked that because it just feels like such a um, such a world away from where I am now. And it makes me feel very grateful for past me mm. for making the decisions to take those steps to learn how to be with the discomfort to get to where I am now. Mm-hmm. It's really so much of what you are sharing. It resonates with me very powerfully. I have been there for sure. And then also with, you know, these themes that come up with my clients all the time. And that idea of like, even sometimes we, we kind of take a brave step, you know, like leaving your job. And then we get scared, like, oh, no, I was trying to solve for something. Now I'm more uncomfortable than I was before in some way. How can I just close that up again? You know, how do I get out of this discomfort? You know, get a degree or whatever it may be like, well, I've got to fix this quickly now before it spirals out of control or something. When in fact, I love what you said about like underneath what you really needed was to rest, like rest, Mm. deeply rest with yourself, you know? And so often we keeps like moving the carrot like oh maybe I know I need rest but after this after that Mm. after that I will have earned rest or I have I will have proven myself in a way that makes me feel safe Mm. and then it's safe enough to rest but like it that sense of safety to really let go like it never comes from the outside no matter how hard you wish It would, because it's seductive, the idea that there is something out there that does help and you just haven't found it yet, is actually, even though you you don't consciously think it, subconsciously, it's a much safer space to be in, because then you have a plan. Then you have a, a weird sense of certainty around what to go for, what to aim for, what to what to fill your days with. While if you lean into the uncertainty and accept that there is nothing that can give that to you except yourself, you are met with a large amount of uncertainty <laughs> and discomfort around that. And it's I didn't realize for a long time how much all of my decisions were being driven from a sense of not feeling good enough. And when you talk about that kind of deep rest, it was like a deep meeting of myself, of sitting with myself and learning how to even like being with just me as I was. And that was 
that was difficult to begin with. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about how I've coached a number of clients on taking a sabbatical. So someone will come to me being like, I think I should take a sabbatical. I want to take a sabbatical. And then maybe we we get to the point where they give themselves permission to do that. Mm -hmm. But something that's always very sticky is the like, oh, but I need a plan. Like, what am I going to do during my sabbatical? How will <laughs> yeah. I keep busy? How will I make sure that I do not sit on the couch and eat potato chips and watch TV mm. during the whole sabbatical? As if they can't trust themselves to give themselves what they need. In yeah. when they create, like, there is a structure to it often. If there's like a budget or something, creating a structure like, okay, I can take three months off or six months. Um, that's what my budget's going to allow. Sometimes that often that can be enough to then go into the blank canvas of a time period that's going to hold you and then find out when you land in it, what do you need in each moment and how does that evolve? And I am thinking about how, you know, sometimes when we don't give ourselves that rest that we need, or just in general, when life happens, we we end up in these forced periods of rest. And I'm thinking about your accident. And uh, also for myself, I um, when I was in grad school, I was running myself into the ground saying, absolutely as busy as possible. And I got mono and I was just flattened for a year, a whole year. And it was one of those things where it's like suddenly forced on you then to mm. really strip everything away and be with yourself. And so I, I always encourage people like, if you feel like you need a break or a rest, Please do it proactively on purpose. <laughs> Don't wait yeah. till the universe gives you that, <laughs> forces it upon you. It's so frustrating to me because we've been sold such a lie that we think the only thing that we can be motivated by is guilt and pressure and shame. And that's, that's why people are terrified of taking, you know, like it sounds so lovely and airy fairy, like, yeah, let's take a break, let's take a break. But it's 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 genuinely like taking a detox from like productive society, what you've been taught, what you've spent your whole life believing makes you useful and worthy and makes your life meaningful. And then for someone to say, like, maybe stop doing that, like no wonder it feels so scary. And I have a bunch of clients as well who go through that um, that phase where it's like, but what if, like, they have this fear of like, what if deep down I am just fundamentally so lazy and unable to do anything that if you stop me, I will never get back up. And that is the fear that everyone has, you know. Mm -hmm. And it's so common because we haven't been given the space and time, all the tools to learn what it feels like to be motivated by desire and joy. And this is why I always tell my clients, your ambitions and your big like dreams, 
they can coexist with ease and joy. We've just been taught that they don't go together as if there exists this weird binary, but it's not like that. You can do the two. I'm so curious when you first got mono, how long did you fight the rest? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, yes. Okay. So I remember like, I was in, I, it was September, so I had just started my second year of my master's. I had packed my schedule so full that I only had like three or four hours a night to sleep. And so I didn't get very far into the semester before I fell apart. <laughs> I remember putting a pot on the stove. I was cooking some rice and beans. And then oh, I guess I turned it off because it didn't, nothing bad happened, but I woke up at like 5 a.m. the next morning, just still on the couch, and I was so disoriented, and my my neck was like all swollen. I was very confused, and I, I made it to the urgent care to see a doctor. I walked. It was like about a mile and a half, and at the time, I was like running. I was like very active, and... Yeah, so I walked and I showed up and they like checked me out and they were like, you have mono, it's really bad. Who's taking you home? And I was like, no one. Uh, who, who? I don't know who would take me home. I'm just like a single student, you know. Do you have a car? No, I'm a broke student. What are you talking about? Are you walking home? Yeah, how far is it? Oh, it's like a mile and a half. You can't. They were like, you cannot walk home. You have to lie down and rest until you feel better. And I was like, about how long do you think that will be? And they were like, we cannot say. For some people, mono might last like six weeks. For some people, a very long time. Like, we can't tell you. You have to essentially, I mean, they didn't say it this way, but it was like, you have to surrender. It's completely unknown what's going to happen mm -hmm. now. And you can't do anything but lie there. And there's nothing that can be done for you either. The solution is rest. And it did not process. So I walked home and made a stop at the grocery store on the way for, I was like, oh, I'm kind of sick. I better get some stuff that I'll need while I'm yeah. sick for a few days. So I got two bags of groceries. And then I was partway home and I just collapsed. I just fell, sat down on the sidewalk. I couldn't go anymore. And I just started crying and like, I had a rest. And then eventually I could stand up and go another block and then sit down and rest. And eventually I got home and I got into bed and, and, uh, I kept sending people emails from my bed that don't worry, like, I'll get back to this. Don't worry, I, you know, I'll, maybe you can send yeah. me notes from class and all this stuff. And, like, people kept sending me notes back that were like, no, please rest. Don't worry about it. And I was like, no, 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 I will do it. And then it, it took a while. I would say, I don't know, it might have taken, like, a month or something of me lying there being able to do nothing but occasionally wake up and send an email that it finally hit me. Everything has slipped away. I don't have anything else 
left to prop up my identity. I'm not in school anymore, actually. I've had to let go of my job and my responsibilities. This, this is it. Now I, yep, now I rest. I mean, that is crazy. There's so much grief in that kind of change that is so difficult to be with. <laughs> and, and I think I, this kind of piece around identity, I think a lot of people don't realize consciously what they choose to be part of their identity until it's taken away. And yeah, I can't even imagine because with my cycling accident, I was only in bed for a month and that already was hard. And I had felt like I'd already gone through my initiation because I was like, well, I've left my job in finance. I've moved to a small town in North of Scotland. Like you've taken everything away. (laughs) This is, I thought this was it, you know? And then I was like, no, going to have a cycling accident. It's something that forces you to really reevaluate what is important to you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and I'm, I'm thinking about how, like, okay, with these, these unexpected things like an accident or a health crisis, things that force us to, to rest or stop the lives that we're living. I don't want to sound like there's a silver lining or something like those are just really, really hard. But for me, eventually it did create a lot of openings. You know, once all these things are stripped away and I'm experiencing going through all this grief, I opened up to things that I wasn't open to before and different ways of finding meaning in my life and, Mm. and, just understanding my own value as a human. And uh, it seems like for you, Tarot, was one of those things. I love where you wrote, you were once recommended a podcast of your now Tarot teacher. But after five minutes of listening, you completely tuned out, immediately dismissing it as not for me. Too American, too brazen, too spiritual. This podcast was for hippies, not my sensible self. I'm so curious if you could say more about that. Like, and especially like to American, I think I know what you mean, (laughs) but I want to know more about what you resisted then and what you embraced after your accident. Yeah, gosh, it's so funny. I, one of my biggest things that I was very strongly part of my identity was being like an educated smart woman. It was like part of my kind of protective armor as well. That was like, well, I, you can't treat me badly because I'm smart. I know things like I can get this stuff done, et cetera. Like it was a really, yeah, it was a really important part of kind of my protective veneer. And it's still, imp- it's still important to me. I just don't use it as armor anymore. And so when, and I think part of that, the very patriarchal side of it, is that to be seen as smart and educated, it's kind of done in a masculine way, mainly. So, you know, it's very logical, it's very scientific, and all these things, which are not inherently masculine, but just because of the society that we live in at the moment, tends to be lumped into those side of things. And so anything that was more kind of creative and spiritual, it felt like I was denouncing 
my reasonable, rational brain if I was believing and leaning into those aspects of myself. And so when I first listened to this tarot podcast, it was just everything that I had kind of been taught to not listen to. You know, like, oh, that's just maybe like cult speak or even, yeah, hippies. That's, it was just something that if you were sensible and you were scientific, you wouldn't even bother paying attention to. And so I immediately tuned out. And when I say to American, I say in the most loving way now, where it's, there is this, because I've, I've lived in America as well for a while, and there is this, I'm trying to think of the right word, bubbliness is not really, but there is this like peppy zest and enthusiasm in America, which is really looked down upon in the UK. Like in the UK, you're supposed to be sarcastic and you're supposed to be a bit more grim and you're just like, that's what you're supposed to do, which I don't believe in either. (laughs) I, I think enthusiasm is a beautiful thing that women are actually made fun of a lot for having enthusiasm. So I'm very much in the purpose of reclaiming our enthusiasm. But that's what it was. It just felt a little bit too much. And then... I had my cycling accident and all I remember from my cycling accident was the sensation of being held as I like flew through the air and and like being bathed in like pink light. And I am, it was, the accident happened in Italy and I am Italian as well as British. And it just opened communication channel to my intuition in a way that I had never really felt it before. And I felt connected to my ancestors. I felt connected to life more as well, because, you know, it could have gone really wrong. And I just remember feeling so appreciative for being alive still. And for the most mundane, simple things. And so when I was recovering, and I was unable to do a lot of things by myself, so I wasn't able to cook for myself, I just wasn't, wasn't able to do a lot of things podcasts was such a godsend because I could lie in bed and I could have my eyes closed and I could be resting but I could still be like taking in information and listening to stuff and because I just felt tarot kept popping up in my sphere and I just felt like I wanted to deepen that relationship and so I started listening to the podcast again and came across ones about healing because this particular mentor of mine actually has chronic pain conditions and and it was just so beautifully timed with what I needed to hear around listening to your body listening to your intuition resting with yourself learning how to move with pain and move with limited capabilities that I just like felt completely in love and was just more open to seeing about a different way of living a different way of being a different way of doing things Because clearly my way that I had been doing for a long time hadn't really given me what I needed or wanted out of it. And so the accident just opened me up to looking for new paths that might be better suited to who I actually was. Mm -hmm. I also highlighted this part where you wrote, I began listening to the podcast, Tarot for the Wild Soul broken of the tethers of what I was supposed to be listening to, how I was supposed to be 
I was able to absorb what was actually being said. And Mm -hmm. that really hit me because, you know, when I came down with mono, it did feel like all these tethers were broken. There is, there can be such a rupture sometimes when things happen to us and it feels like being broken in like a bad way. But then sometimes it leads to being broken open. And so I eventually was able to, like I would just pick up snippets of of books or things that I had been studying. I was studying comparative religion at the time from a very like academic perspective. And I couldn't even, I couldn't read much at a time while I was sick, but I would just pick something up and land on a page and like read a poem or a passage of something and just cry or just be so moved by it in a way where it could reach me more deeply, where I wasn't just thinking about the thing. I was being changed by it. And actually that, you know, after all these stages I went through over the course of that year of recovery, I ended up taking away this sensation that like sometimes being sick is um, nice to sink into. Like if you're not too sick, you know, where now if I get like I get a cold or something, I'm just like, yeah, I just get in bed <laughs> under the covers. And I'm like, OK, universe, I'm ready for like the interesting yeah. insights and like, you know, dreaminess and openness that that's going to mm. happen here where you're you're like in that liminal state. You're not in regular life anymore. You're not dead. Yeah. But. You can see things differently. And I think one of the things that, I mean, unfortunately for women, a lot of people that I work with, they tend to be like chronic people pleasers um, or martyrs. And I think what happens is when you're a little bit sick, this depends on the family. Um, I know mothers have a very hard time with this anyway, but when you're sick, your expectations look. So people, you can, and, and there is this excuse to be able to say no it like forces boundaries for you and that's why sometimes it tends to happen or like people really want it to happen sometimes it feels a little bit nice like you said as long as you're not too sick (laughs) um as long as you can still kind of and I think anyone who feels that way I would really look at what expectations are you holding so close to your chest what expectations are you so worried about putting down that enforced boundary in that way makes you feel a little bit glad because that's something to really look at. Yes. I do think you're right that there's a certain liminality to being forced out of your regular routine that just gives you a different perspective, gives you fresh eyes on what's important to you and what you want to keep in your life as well. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a constant process and I still have that, you know, Sometimes I get sick and I'm glad (laughs) and I just, and then as I'm coming out of it, I have to ask myself, okay, what are my unmet needs in my regular life Mm -hmm. and where am I overdoing it? Where am I expecting too much of myself? Where do I need to proactively create space 
so that I'm not glad the next time I get sick. Yeah. And, you know, obviously sometimes people get sick. Like you, you mentioned this earlier. Like it's not like you bring it upon yourself in any way whatsoever. Right. But it can be quite revealing as a circumstance to just help you examine a little bit more deeply what's going on. Exactly. Well, you know, as we've started to talk about tarot, I was actually wondering if you would be open to pulling a card for us. Like, might we, Ooh, sure. might we yeah. experience a little tarot right now? I don't have experience with it, but I'm curious. Yeah, well, so the way that I work with tarot I don't use it as a divination practice, so I am very much of the view that tarot, it can't do anything to you, it can't predict the future. It is a beautiful tool for seeing the possibilities of the now, but you always get to choose and co-create how you want to react to the information, whether you disagree with it or agree with it, whether you want to act on it or not. Like, I, I think it's a tool for expanding our awareness of what could be possible and allowing us to kind of bypass our thinking brain and touch in with what's, what our hearts or our soul might be asking us to pay attention to. Because visuals are such a strong, potent, like contextualized way of sharing information that often it kind of helps to zip past that bit that's thinking too much and go deeper into the like, oh, that just means that to me. That's like a gut reaction to it. So when I pull cards very much to help illuminate your intuitive knowing, so because obviously this is a kind of collective reading, I will pull a card that is just, what is the collective, what could listeners benefit from paying attention to in this moment? And it will be generalized. However, I um, invite you, if you're listening to this now, to take this moment to really check in with your own intuition and see what comes up to you, whether this resonates or not, and use that as a gauge to get more deeper intimacy with your yes-no. So. And just so you know, we can, we can include, we could include a picture of the card if that might be helpful in when I publish the episode on sub, Substack, we can include that. Wonderful. I will, I'll send over the photo. All right. So I pulled the Ten of Swords for the collective, which is a beautiful card, especially at the moment because of the full moon tomorrow. And I always think the tens are such a beautiful like microcosm of full moon energy because I'm going to give like a quick intro to Tara. But you have the major arcana, which are um, the cards that's kind of maybe you've heard of them. There's the lovers, the hermit, the strength card, all of those big names that I feel like are the macro powers that you sort of surrender to. So when you get a major, it's it's very meaningful, but it's it's less about what you're doing and more about what you're surrendering to that's kind of happening in your life to, to pay attention to. 
And then you have the minors, which are the ace to tens, which is more about the day-to-day life, more about the kind of existence of being a human. And the swords card and the swords suit is a suit that's commonly associated with air and also with um, discernment between your intuition and your mind, your fear and your soul, all these kind of patterns of thinking that go on in comparison to intuitive knowing. And the ten is when you've essentially traveled from the ace to the ten. And in a journey of learning what that means like to you. So perhaps you've begun to look into what this might mean to you, to listen to your intuition. Perhaps you've already been studying it for a little while or paying attention to it for a while. And the Ten of Swords is a kind of mini death of a particular pattern of thinking, a particular way of thinking that is no longer serving you. So perhaps you have noticed that there's a story in your life that maybe doesn't ring true anymore for you. And you've decided it's maybe time to let it let it down. Maybe it's become particularly loud lately, and that's usually a good sign that it's ready to go. Or maybe you have noticed that something that you have believed for a very long time no longer feels true, and you're ready to look at it from a different perspective or just accommodate it in your mind in a totally different way. And so this really asks you to look at what is ready to be composted? What is ready to be left behind? What is ready to have kind of, it's, it's had its full cycle in a full moon kind of way. It's, it's, cre- it's already shown you and illuminated everything that it needs to illuminate. And now it's ready to go into the different space. So that would be a ten of swords as a mini little reading. That's so beautiful. You know, A lot of the clients I work with work in technology and there's a metaphor I use with them, which I think is connects to this idea. And it's just the idea of needing to update to a new operating system. Like your computer (laughs) keeps sending you notifications. It's time. It's time. Even it's been months since this update came out, but I don't know about you, but like, I still get scared about updating because like first of all I don't have time I can't slow down I can't wait the two minutes or the 15 minutes for everything Mm. to pause in this update to happen and then also I don't know what to expect I don't know what it's gonna be like Mm. are they gonna change everything am I gonna lose my stuff you know it's gonna be different I'm gonna have to adjust and learn new ways of operating you know I love that analogy so much because it's (laughs) so true because it highlights as well how much like we put off making changes, making updates in our lives just because we're comfortable with what is Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. when in reality something coming might be better. It might run way more smoothly. It may be such an, we may have such an easier time with it later, Mm -hmm. but you have to go through that discomfort of, actually getting the update to take place Mm -hmm. 
so good. <laughs> Such a good analogy. <laughs> Thank you. And so yes, Ten of Swords, same. <laughs> Old software, ready to go. <laughs> Time to upload the new one. <laughs> oh, I love this, and and I'm I'm grateful to you for pulling a card and sharing this this reading for the collective for our listeners. And to me, it's just. It's an example of how sometimes we, kind of like you were saying, we need something different to access a different part of our minds, our hearts, our intuition. For me, it's astrology. I, I, mm. the, this system of astrology is like so complex and I love that. <laughs> I love how complicated it is, how much yeah. tension is in it. And like, it's, it's similar to you, I don't, use it as a divination tool, but more of a, it's very seasonal, cyclical. And so in mm. every day, there's something happening in astrology that can be used to remind us of some part of ourselves that might need tending to, some type of rest we might need, or some opportunity that is available to us that we mm. haven't thought of. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think there are so many different types of of tools available like this in the realm of spirituality, spiritual practices, or you know, other realms in um, art. Different different types of art mm. and art therapy that we can use to just uh, play and let go a little and uh, see what see what comes up and it's also like really hard to do that with nothing you know with to just like mm. quiet your mind and see what happens you know that's also a thing you can do but if you have like material like tarot or mm. whatever it is that inspires and interests you and yeah. captures your curiosity i think yeah it can be so valuable Completely. And that's, and that's why I personally chose tarot was because I loved the tangible aspect of it. It really helped me because I have a very speedy, fast thinking brain that just thinks a lot. And so having the actual physical ritual of pulling a card and having the artwork to examine was totally that. So I think you're so right. It's really about experimenting with which one works for you and the way your brain likes to operate and find comfort in kind of play and exploration and exploring which which method well this podcast is called let it be easy and that is because i you know i have often done many things the hard way but i try to these days find where where is the ease you know how might i connect with ease mm. even in times that feel hard and um, I do you mind if I read one last paragraph that you wrote. Go ahead. So this is, I think, about kind of letting go. So I feel like my entire life so far has been me trying to create a fixed point within the ocean, an ocean that is essentially uncontainable. But I chase it around with a little cup, hoping to be able to catch it. 
The process of bringing tarot into my life has opened me up to the playful possibility that not knowing is all part of it. That not knowing means I can float on the ocean waves and see where they take me. I don't have to keep trying so hard to steer the ship if I can sometimes be willing to let the current guide my way. I feel like that is my lifelong lesson in learning to surrender and let go because it is only when I stop trying that I can really be in the present moment and enjoy myself. And that's true for everything, I think, because when what is inherently in the word trying means that you're striving for something that you don't have. And I think there's such a more playful, open way of looking at that that allows you to be present and appreciative of the present, as well as acknowledging what's difficult in the present, that can still move you forward in a way that doesn't kind of overwhelm you and get you stuck. But I think that's the thing, that's the misconception about letting go, is that people think letting go is passive, but it's not. Letting go is an active thing where you then begin to look at what is in your life that is being led by your wants, your your desires, your fun, instead of driven by something that is a fear-based need. And I'm doing including like invested commas around that because you think you think you're trying to fix something. It's it's a very different space to operate in. Yes, yes, and I think one of my takeaways from our conversation is just that. That permission to, when you know you need to let go in some way, it is okay to ask for help, to, you know, seek out um, tools that might help you play or open up a little, and also people, whether it's a coach or, or a friend or just some trusted confidant who can hold space for you. You don't have to do the letting go alone. It can, it's okay if it feels hard. And once we do it, it can open up more ease. And like you said, let it be easy. Let yourself be supported. A lot of the times when you've been taught to martyr yourself and like taught that you have to be strong, it's hard to let that support in because you think it diminishes you, but it doesn't. And if you let it be easy, you will be amazed at the capacity and strength that you can blossom inside of that space. It's, it's very possible, even though it doesn't feel like it right now. Well, thank you for all of this beautiful wisdom that you have shared. It is so wonderful to talk with you. This is the sort of episode I'm going to be so excited to just re-listen to myself and enjoy. Thank you so much for having me and for sharing everything as well about your story and um, it's such a joy to be able to be in conversation with uh, with people who, who want to talk about the same things <laughs> before you go a few final notes first if you have a topic or question you'd like me to cover i would love to hear from you just send me a note at podcast at the cocoon.co don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on whatever app you use to listen and if you liked this episode, please share it with a friend. That's one of the best things you can do to show your support and encourage me to keep going. Until next time, let it be easy. <laughs>